Well, it was during the years of the prohibition where a, a, a man thought it would be a good idea to erect a tavern in a dry town. Uh, kind of trying, changing some culture here. So he goes, he starts construction of this tavern in a dry town, but it, it kind of upsets and bothers some Christians within the community. So what the Christians do, and they say, all right, if you want to erect that in our town, we're going to have an all-night prayer gathering. So they all come together and they pray all night long that God would intervene in some way, shape, or form to destroy this tavern. Well, two days later after the all-night prayer gathering, lightning struck the tavern and it burned it to the ground. Uh, and the, the tavern owner decides to get a lawyer and sue the church because he believes that their prayers were directly responsible for what took place. Well, the church, their counterpart is that they hired a lawyer, as most people would do, to say, our prayers didn't have anything to do with it. So they kind of come to a judge, and he uh, look, reviews the case, and the judge says, there's one thing that is abundantly clear here. The tavern owner believes in the power of prayer, and the Christians do not. This morning, we're going to be spending some time looking at the power of prayer. I think we as the church often forget the power that is wielded in prayer. We have to understand that prayer changes everything. When our world is full of unrest, when you look outside or you turn on the news channel and you see the massive amount of unrest, whether it's economical unrest, whether it's social unrest, relational unrest, biological unrest, all of these different things taking place, we have to understand the power of prayer because many people seek the wrong things in the moments of unrest. They run to science. They run to sociology, politics. But the question I have for you and I want you to examine yourself with, with is what do you run to? In seasons of unrest, in moments of worry, in moments of persecution or hardship, what do you do? My hope and cry is that we would will the words of King David in Psalm 20, verse 7, that says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The tension we see today, church, is nothing new. If you look back all throughout Scripture, there was leadership tension. When the nation of Israel left Egypt and Moses was their leader, eventually by God's hand, he died and was buried, and it was given to Joshua to have leadership. Later on, God used judges to lead Israel, and, well, that didn't work too well, we see. Their leadership was corrupt, so the people wanted a king that would lead them. In other words, they looked out and said, hey, man, this, this really ain't working too good. We need, we need to try something else. We need a new governmental system. We need a new structure. We need new accountability, and like many of us, we think, we just need a new leader and everything will be all right. If we can just get a new leader, he'll solve all our problems. He'll protect us from our enemies. He'll unite us together. He'll create stabilization in our economy and provide the change that we need. But the problem here, the same problem we see in the book of Judges. The people no longer look to God for answers. They look to the men that were standing around them. They look to the world. Our biggest problem, church, is not the economy. Our biggest problem is not racism. Our biggest problem is not disease. Our biggest problem is not culture. It's not 
China or Russia. Our biggest problem is our rebellion and sin against God. We have to understand that we cannot lay the problems of the world at the doorstep of the White House. You cannot, yeah, that's right, the White House. <laughs> hey, I'm for it. Listening, come on. You cannot lay them at the door of the schoolhouse. We have to lay them at the door of his house. Because neither the government, political leaders, or social activists can fix the real problem. The government can't fix hate. They can't fix prejudice. They can't fix pride. They can't fix idolatry. They can't fix selfish, selfishness or greed. The government's job is to fix potholes and not your soul. That is solely reserved for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. So we need to come to him. Ask for his hand and his healing through prayer. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Do you, you hear that? He will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. The answer is Jesus. And the link, the link to us getting there, to having that relationship, that communion with him is prayer. Because the church, the big C church that we're in today is in war time. We are not in a time of peace. Recently, John MacArthur, who was a pastor in California, preached a sermon that preached the truth of the scriptures, that a homosexual lifestyle is sinful, and it was censored and labeled by YouTube as hate speech and removed. There's another church in Indiana who is offering biblical counseling for those who are struggling with gender dysphoria and the government is trying to shut the church down because they don't see the problem because truth is relative. Whatever you want to chase down, you chase down, and whatever I want to chase down, I'll chase down. But the church is standing firm because this is not a time of peace. We are at war, and it is not a time of retreating. We need to move forward. We have to move forward. But we have to realize the only way to move forward is to, to go back. So this is why now we are in a series called Reset, looking at and examining the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts. Uh, this morning, we're not necessarily moving through a chapter together. I want to pull out and bring your attention to a few different verses that speak to the power of prayer. But we're looking at the book of Acts to find the marks of the first century church. And if you remember correctly, this church was far more persecuted and pressured than we are today. So we're looking back at them to guide us forward. We started by looking at the first mark a few weeks ago, which is the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at the second mark, which was a commitment to God's word. They read it, they memorized it, they taught it, they obeyed it. They couldn't stop talking about it. The first century church loved the word of God and lived the word of God. 
I need you to hear me. If we want to be able to thrive in today's age, it will be out of the abundance of the word of God that we do such. The word of God has to be prevalent in your life. It needs to be prevalent within your home. This is the most important thing you will read. So let me tell you and encourage you, it is not too late to jump in on the reading plan that we have. I know a lot of people, I'm one of those people, I'm just, where do I start? I don't want to just kind of flip some pages and point here and that sounds good. This is a beautiful plan, the F260 plan. If you don't have one of these, what this is, it's a reading plan that we're going to read the entirety of the New Testament in a year. It's one chapter a day, five days a week. So you got some grace period in that week if you miss. I would encourage you, this is low-hanging fruit, church. Do this with your spouse. Do this with the group. Do this on your own. Every single thing that we're doing in this season is coming out of this plan. I'm the, I'm the student pastor here and the associate pastor, but one of the things we're doing in student ministry is every single Wednesday night our teaching is coming out of this plan because we want our students to be reading the Bible reading plan and us as a church reading the New Testament in a year. You can do this. It's not too hard. It's not too large a task. It's the most important thing you'll do. So lay down something else to pick up the word of God because it is worth it. The third mark in which we're going to be looking at today is prayer. The early church didn't have the ruler's ear of the day, but they had God's ear. They, he heard their prayers and he answered his people's prayers. We see everywhere in Acts that the church was devoted to prayer. Around here, you've probably heard before, repetition is key. If you see a word repeating, the, the author is trying to bring your attention to something. Well, in the book of Acts, the word pray or prayer appears 30 different times in a 28-chapter book. I think there's some importance here that we need to take notice of. As a church, we must be devoted to prayer if we want our kids, our families, and this church, the Big C Church as well, to flourish in a hostile world. The first thing you'll see, uh, Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, is you see that the church prays for their leaders. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Peter was arrested. He was thrown in jail. He was chained between two guards. My man is cooked. There's, there's no way out of this but the church. But the church earnestly and intensely and fervently prayed for him. And in verse 8, as they prayed, the chains fell off of Peter. And an angel hit him in his side to wake him up and say, hey, get up and get out. And through the power of prayer in the church, the prison miraculously opened and Peter walked out. In Acts chapter 1, there were two candidates to replace Judas and they didn't know which one to choose. So what did they do? They prayed. In Acts 6, there was an uproar in the church because some felt that the Jewish widows were given preferential treatment over the Greek and Hellenist widows. And the apostles said, choose seven men so that way we don't have to neglect the ministry of the word and of prayer. And they prayed over these men and they sent them out. In Acts 13, the church at Antioch 
prayed for Barnabas and Saul and sent them as missionaries. The point here is that the early church was devoted to praying for its leaders. And I have to ask you, do you pray for the leaders of the church? For the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the leaders of the ministry area. Do you pray for the leaders of the church? I believe it's, it's beyond important that you do. Because like we said, this is a wartime. There's immense pressure for the leaders of the church to give in to what the world wants them to do, to compromise on the word of God. And this holy Bible is the word of God, the perfect, inerrant word of God. And we know that it is the way of wholeness, of fruitfulness, of spiritual, emotional, psychological, and sexual health. But we also know that it is a message that is highly offensive to the world. The Bible says that homosexuality is sinful. And scripture tells us that we're knit together in our mother's womb, given the chromosomes that at birth decide the gender that we are. Our heavenly father does not knit us with error. He knits us perfectly in our mother's womb. Justice is defined differently today than what we see in the scriptures. We see sex before marriage in the world is okay. But we know that in the kingdom of God and from the word of God that it is sinful. Generosity and tithing are biblical. And the church is not optional. These are all out of the word of God. And these all bring offense to the world. There are but a few here of the issues that pastors are commanded to preach. So I ask again, do you pray for your pastors? I would ask that you pray that we never compromise, no matter the cost, no matter if we're labeled as ignorant, no matter if we're labeled as hateful, bigots, no matter if it means jail time for preaching the word of God. Pray that we do not give in and that we do not compromise. Pray for the church as we make godly decisions to lead the church in a wicked world. Our pastors, the elder team here at LifePoint, they meet on Monday mornings literally all day to meet and pray specifically for you to navigate through what's happening within the body of our church, to call by name people who are struggling and who are hurting so that way they can make intercession on their behalf. Pray for the decisions that will be made in the room, decisions like COVID issues. How do we handle and address the gender identity issues and myriad of complications with our world and the church? How do we handle leaders who are in sin? When do we start another church? Where do we plan it? What do we do? Who do we send? There's a list of things that we have to navigate through as leaders of the church. I would ask that you would pray 
for us because research shows the Barner Research Group did a recent survey of pastors and found that one in three are considering leaving the ministry because of the immense pressure and what is required of them to lead the church. So that means in, in this room, in this campus, with Kurt here, was here, Kyle and myself, one of us would statistically be considering leaving the ministry forever. Do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for their families, their marriages, their, the unrealistic expectations that are placed upon their kids? There's power that needs to be wielded here within the church. This morning, some things are gonna look a little bit different. And it's on purpose because I don't just want to ask and teach and do all of these things about the power of prayer. I want to call you to do such. So if you're in this room right now, if you are a deacon, if you lead in any way, shape, or form within a ministry, if you're a pastor in here or what have you, if you have a leadership role, would you please stand up? Is there anybody in here? I want us to not only hear about the power of prayer, but I want us to take part in the power of prayer. So if you are around someone that is standing up, we're going to take the next five-ish minutes to pray for the people that are standing around you. And if you don't know them, introduce yourself to them and ask them how they can pray for you. Take some time now and go and do that, and I will come back and close this out in prayer. Don't be shy. Y'all get after it.
Heavenly Father, you are extremely gracious to us. I thank you for um, the leadership that is in this room. People who boldly stand to proclaim your name to whomever walks through these doors and whomever walks in through their lives. Father, it is a privilege to stand in here with such godly men and women who do not shy away from proclaiming your truth no matter what may come. God, I pray that you would move in such a way in them that their time with you from your word continues to be deeper and deeper and deeper and that it would just spew out from their hearts, from, the, from their mouths into the ears that are around them, God. I pray that the men and women in leadership within this room would not shy away from persecution, that they would not compromise, that they would be people with their feet firmly planted on solid ground. We do not stand on sand. We do not stand on shaky gravel, Father. We stand on your solid word. May we be reminded of that in the coming days. Father, we love you. We praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. That's an important rhythm that needs to be in your life. It needs to be, it's in, it needs to be in my own life. I pray or strive to pray for the leadership that is above me and that is around me and that is per se within that I'm, leaders that I'm leading. You need to pray for leadership within the church weekly, daily. So figure out your routine here that you can divide those things up and pray for people often. Another thing that we see within the church is not only do they pray for the leadership, but they pray for their peers. They step down off of the leadership roles as brothers and sisters in Christ and bear one another's burdens. It's written all over the book. You can write these things down. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, together in one accord, praying together. Acts chapter 8 verse 24 says, they pray for sinners to repent. Acts chapter 9 verse 40 says, they prayed for physical healing. In Acts chapter 27, verse 29, they prayed for safety. Because again, they're living in a hostile world. It's all over the New Testament as well, outside of the book of Acts. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, it says, Paul simply said, brothers, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. In Galatians 6.2, Paul urged the church to bear one another's burdens. Do we bear one another's burdens in prayer? Can you call to mind your brothers and sisters that are around you that you're praying for? Think about this for a moment. We also see physical healing take place through the power of prayer within the church. Acts chapter 3, Peter was on his way to pray and a beggar was healed who'd been lame for over 40 years. Miraculous things taking place. 
In Acts chapter 9, Ananias was used by God to bring healing to Saul, who was struck blind on his way to Damascus. Also in Acts chapter 9, Peter came across a man who had been paralyzed for eight years. And Peter said, Jesus heals you. He got up and he walked. Miraculous healing taking place through the power of prayer. It's important that we grasp, though, in the healing aspect of things that you, in and of yourself, can't heal anything. I can't go to Joe and say, hey, Joe, I know one leg's shorter than the other. In CJ's name, I pray your other leg grows. It evens out. That doesn't happen. Healing, whether it be uh, physical or spiritual, can only come from the hand of God. So we go to God on behalf of that person to pray for healing for them because we know he is the only one that can heal. Church, if you remember, we've seen this take place in our own campus with Charlie. How much do we, have we, and continue to pray for him and his family? The beautiful fact is that he's sitting in the back of the room now. We prayed for God to move in such a way to bring him back, what seemed to, to bring him back from what seemed to be insurmountable. But with God, all things are possible. The power of prayer sits with us. Not only that, but for Michael, who is as well in the back of the room. You see, church, our prayers are used by God. Not only these two men, but Nico as well for the IAO family. There's miracles happening all over our church and specifically with this campus. We cannot forget the power that is being made manifest through the prayers of a righteous person. And our job is not done here. Yes, these men are healed in such a way, but the prayers are not done. They both, all three of them, have a long journey in front of them that we must be praying for them. But not only that, church, we have other men within our church who are stepping into deep, daunting battles. Carl Meyer, the Meyer family, are walking through a difficult season of their life as Carl has been diagnosed with cancer. He starts treatment tomorrow. We need to pray for Carl and Ruth and their beautiful family. We need to pray for a young man named Benjamin Dorfel and his wife, Emma. Many of you may not know Benjamin. He's on staff at our church, and he does tech and all of, the, all of those things. He is an amazing young man that loves the Lord who has already started cancer treatment. He's a young married man. And if we're honest, is worried. We must pray for these people. And ask the Lord to do miraculous things 
I heard something briefly about Benjamin the other day that he is not asking prayer for specifically himself, but there is a young woman who is next to him while they get treatments who is terrified and does not know the Lord. So he sends a message and says, hey, will you pray for this lady? She doesn't know the Lord. She doesn't have the peace and assurance that I have through the valley. He's asking for urgency and power through prayer to share the gospel with somebody while he is in his own valley. Church, we have to pray for our brothers and sisters. No matter how big or how small. I ask that you pray for Kyle. He's come down with COVID. He was supposed to preach this morning. He's doing well. But I ask that you pray for him, that his body would have healing. I ask that you pray for Austin Duke and his family. Their sweet baby girl, Danny, is in the hospital with RSV and is struggling moment by moment to breathe. Pray for your peers. We pray for brothers and sisters to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. We pray for them to be sanctified, to become more like Christ. We pray for their kids, if they have them, to come to know and love Jesus. Pray for each other when someone loses a job, when there's a crisis within their family, when the world is persecuting them. Prayer is the one thing that changes everything. We must be a people that are deeply rooted in prayer. And just like a moment ago, when we prayed for the leadership of the church, I want to take a moment to pray for our brothers and sisters. So I'm going to ask, this is a bold moment. I'm going to ask that if you need prayer, whatever it may be that you stand in this room. Don't be afraid. This is a family. If you need prayer, stand. If you see people that are around you, please take a moment, stand up, walk to them, and pray with them. If they don't want to communicate to you what necessarily they want prayer for, that's okay. You be faithful in what the Lord has called us to do as brothers, sisters in Christ, and to pray. Go now.
Gracious Father, we love you. Um, and I am um, coming to you on behalf of many people that have spoken uh, prayers that they needed and many people who held their prayer request back. God, you know their hearts, you know what they're struggling with, and you know what they're walking through. This is not by happenstance, it is not by accident. God, you are in complete control of all things, and we trust that. That's why we come back to you and ask in such a way that you would bring relief, that you would bring healing, that you would bring a lightened burden to your people, and that you would bring rest to them. God, I pray now for continued boldness for the people who ask for prayer. May they continue to do that in a community with brothers and sisters in Christ who deeply love them. Father, we want to be a family that reflects the kingdom of God. And to do such, we must be a people who pray for one another. Father, we love you and we praise you. It is in your precious, perfect, and holy name we pray. Amen. Church, prayer changes everything. We cannot neglect to pray with and for one another. So as the band can come back up, as they come back up, I want to close with this. We must be a people that pray without ceasing. We must fill this room with prayer. We must fill the hallways with prayer. We must fill our workplace with prayer. We must fill each other's homes with prayer. If we truly want to bear one another's burdens and walk with one another, we have to be willing to pull back the curtains here. To be vulnerable, honest, and open with those that are around us. That you're doing life with. It's part of biblical community. That we pray with and for one another. There is no more beautiful thing. And I've experienced this in my own life. Than someone not only praying for you through the week, but praying with you for you. So church, I challenge you and encourage you. Be a people of prayer. And trust the sovereign hand of the Lord to take your deepest groanings. The Holy Spirit taking our deepest groanings. Things that I don't necessarily know how to put into words, but I feel this in my soul. He's taking those things, putting them into words and laying them before our Heavenly Father. And be encouraged as well that Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father is praying for you by name, by whatever you're struggling with. We see that truth in the scriptures. So if we are to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, we must walk in his footsteps. Therefore, we must be a people of prayer. Church, I love you. I'm thankful for this family, for this body, what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do through this church. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would take root in our lives. 
that your word would mold us, that it would shape us, and that we would have great boldness to pray for our brothers and sisters, not only here, but who are across the world proclaiming your name into the darkness. In your precious and holy name, we pray. Amen.